excited about where we're at in this series. We're talking about victorious. And uh, where we're at in this series, God has just blown this thing wide open. I've told you before that usually when I get into a series, God gives me an idea of where we're going to go. But once I start picking it apart, once I start getting in it, uh, he just starts showing me stuff that I had no idea we were going to get there. And um, today's one of those days. I had no idea we were going to go here um, from the beginning, but God just started illuminating things, showing me things in his word, and I'm excited about getting there. If you'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. I can't recap everything we've been talking about in this series. If you've missed any of it, you definitely want to be sure to go online, uh, hear the messages, the previous messages, get, um, get the CDs. You can sign up, order the CDs for yourself. You can have them with you everywhere you go. Um, but this series has been uh, about victory in the kingdom of God. Uh, for too long, the church and the body of Christ has been sitting back in a defensive mode uh, with their battles and struggles that we all face. And I'm not here to deny the struggle. I'm not here to make light of the battle and diminish the hardships and the, and the things that we deal with on a daily basis. Because Jesus, Peter, Paul, Timothy, they all said, you will have trials and tribulations in the last days, in the, in the, the end of the time. Things will get worse. The world will get darker. But they never said to worry about it. They never said to be concerned with the battle. They never said to, to be in the middle of the struggle and feel like you're getting beat down. In fact, Jesus said, he used these words in John chapter 16, be of good cheer. How in the world are you supposed to be of good cheer in the middle of a battle, in the middle of a struggle, in the middle of a hardship? Be of good cheer. Why? For I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. So we started with day one a couple weeks ago when we wanted to look at perspective. What is the perspective that we have of our struggles? If we can change the perception of our struggles, then we will see our struggles for what they really are. God, in the beginning, in the garden, never warned Adam and Eve about an enemy in the earth. Was the snake there the whole time? Yes, the snake was there. But God never said, hey, by the way, there's a snake in there. He's tricky. He's cunning. He's the most deceptive animals in the, all the field. Uh, so watch out for him. Uh, I had to kick him out of heaven. I, I had to put him out because he tried to take me over. So he might try to do the same to you. He never gave those warnings. All that God said was take care of the garden. Tend it. Keep it. Guard it. Be fruitful and multiply. And then he gave instruction. Do not eat of this tree. Why did he only do that? Because he knew that his instruction, if you just simply obey the commands I give you, the snake will never have a, a thing on you. I will take care of the rest. If you just obey my instruction, if you just follow the words that I'm giving you, then the snake, the snake has no control over you. He has no attack against you. And so we took time to look at the enemy's not the problem. The enemy's not the issue. It's obeying God's commands. And then we looked at battles, that when people were obedient to God's instruction, we looked at Joshua walking around the wall of Jericho. What did he say to do? Walk around it seven times. Don't say a word. On the seventh day, walk around it seven times on that day. And then on the last time, shout with a loud voice. God, these are ridiculous instructions. They don't make any sense. We're fighting, a we're fighting an, an army with, with uh, 
with swords and weapons and shields and what is walking around a wall? Just obey my instruction. We saw Gideon. Take your, take your army of 30,000, break it down to 300 against 120,000 people. Take uh, light fires, put it in a pitcher, and then get around their camp and throw it on the ground. God, what does that have to do? We need swords, we need shields, we need weapons, we need this, we need that. And God's saying, no, all you need is to obey my instruction. And then they got to watch a show. They got to watch the army they were going to fight kill themselves. And we looked at Jehoshaphat. And they got three different nations coming against them. And what did he do? He sought the Lord. And the entire nation sought the Lord. And so the Lord said, send out the worshipers in front of you. God, what are you talking about? We're going to fight an army. We're going to fight a battle. We don't need to send worshipers. We need to send our our strongest men, our, our most trained men. He says, no, send the worshipers out. They did, and when they got on the camp of the people where they were going to fight, they were already dead. So what's God saying? This battle is not yours. So don't fight it on your pretenses. Don't fight it how you think you're supposed to fight it. Fight my battle my way. Follow my instruction, and then give me praise and glory for it. Last week we saw that uh, this thing is a co-op mission. And we looked at two things. A lot of Christians are either trying to fight a battle all by themselves. God, I've been trying to beat down the devil. God, I've been trying to overcome. God, I've been trying. And he's saying, you're not doing it with me. Or they're expecting God to do everything and they're just sitting back and wondering why they're getting beat. And wondering why they're, why they're losing. Why they're, wondering why they're always defeated and everything. Wondering why they can't get their finances in control. They can't, can't you know, ever combat sickness. Never be healthy. Why? Because we're either trying to do this thing on our own or we're thinking God's taking care of it all. But God, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he created the earth, but then he gave dominion and control to man. Which means this is a partnership. This is a two-way deal. Which means you've got to work with God. We're working with God in this thing. Remember, Jesus understood that. He said, I'm not here on my own initiative. I'm not here on my own will. I'm not here doing what I want to do, going where I want to go, saying what I want to say. I only say what the Father says. I only do what the Father says to do. I only go where the Father tells me to go. It's a co-op mission. We're in this thing together. And so that's what we left off last week. This week, man, uh, there's so much. Let's just start reading. Luke chapter 19. The title of this message this week is... The last man standing. The last man standing. Holy Spirit, help me to communicate this with clarity, with understanding, according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 11. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. They're looking for a kingdom. Why? Because it's all that Jesus talked about. It's all he, everywhere he went. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. Re, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's all he's talking about is the kingdom of God. He's not talking about religion. He's not talking about a belief system. He's not talking about any of that. He's talking about a kingdom. So they're looking for a kingdom. In verse 12, therefore he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. Everyone say, Do business till I come. 
Verse 14, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded those servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him. Now, he's just handed out to his servants portions of money. And he said, do what? Business till I come. Verse 15. And so he returned, having received the kingdom. Verse 16. Then came the first, saying, Master, your mana has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good and, and good and good servant, because you were faithful in very little. Have authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Master, your mana has earned five. Likewise, he said, You also be over five cities. Then another came, look at this, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit. You reap what you did not sow. And he said to them, he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. He called him wicked. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put the money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? The master was just looking for, add to what I've left with you. Even if it's just interest in the bank. I want to come back receiving more than what I put in your possession. Verse 24. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten. A lot of us in America have a problem with that one. Giving to the one who has and taking away from the, the one who doesn't have. Verse 26. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given from him who does not have. Even what he has will be taken away from him. Look what he does with his enemies. Verse 27. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Now, what does this have to do with victorious? This whole passage, what were the people looking for back in verse 11? A kingdom. He said, I'm going to have to tell you a story. I'm going to have to tell you a parable real quick because you guys are looking for the kingdom of God. Let me tell you this. And so he lays this out. And basically what he does is he's, he just laid out God's plan from the beginning of time. The master had a kingdom. And when the master left, left the kingdom in control of his servants, there were enemies that rose up that said, we don't want this man, we don't want this master to rule over us any longer. Well, that was the fall of man. God left a kingdom to us in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God, being king in heaven, created and extended his kingdom to the earth. And the earth looked just like heaven. The Garden of Eden looked just like heaven. There was no sickness. There was no disease. There wasn't any sin. There wasn't anything uh, that was any less than heaven. And Adam and Eve were in control of it. But Adam and Eve, when they handed over, when they disobeyed God's rule, do not eat of the tree. When they did that, they handed over their authority and they said, we don't want God to rule over us. That's what you're doing when you disobey the king. When you disobey his word, you're saying, I don't want God to rule over me. I want to do my thing. Or, in essence, you're giving yourself over to the enemy. And that's what happened. But now the master came back to receive the kingdom. 
And the master was looking for what did you do with what I left you? What did you do with what I put in your possession? Let me show you this. In the King James Version, back up there in verse 12. At the end of verse verse 13, I'm sorry, go to verse 13. It says, so he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do business till I come. In the King James Version, that actually reads, Occupy till I come. Occupy the kingdom till I come. Now look at the definitions of that word, occupy. The word occupy literally means to take or fill up. To engage or employ the mind, energy, or attention. This is what occupy means. It means to be resident of, to reside in something. Look at this. This is what occupy means. To take possession and control of. And then lastly, it means to hold. So he's saying take possession, take control of, reside in, hold, occupy the kingdom till I come. This was was his instruction. None of that is guard and And be careful. Don't let anyone take away. Be in defense mode. None of that is that. It's all offensive. It's all attack. It's all gain ground. It's all take this. It's all get this in your possession. It's all get this in your control. That's what that word means. And so we see two servants go out and obey this instruction. One says, you gave me five and I've gone out, taken control of, taken possession of five more. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Then he went to another guy and he said, you gave me two? Look, I have gone out, I have taken possession of, I've taken hold of, I have gained two more. The one wicked servant, the one lazy servant, what did he do? Buried it in the ground was fearful of it being taken away and did not gain, did not take possession of. And the master came back and said, you could have at least put it in the bank where it would have gained interest, where it would have been added to what you already had. Now, this is every believer. This is every citizen of the kingdom of God. And I hate it that For too long, we've taken this defensive approach that the devil's trying to steal my stuff. Let me just guard my stuff. And we're not trying to gain anything. Our victory. Put up point number one for me. Point number one. Our position as kingdom citizens is to take ground, not be fearful of what we have being taken away. The latter of that is where a lot of believers are. The devil's beating me down. The devil's attacking me. And I'm about to redefine. We started off this whole series talking about perspective. If you change your perspective, then you can fight properly. And we've been fighting the devil in a defensive mode. Let me tell you, let me put it to you this way. The church is not to be locked up in the church trying to keep the devil out. We are supposed to be going into the world, trying to run him out of everything. 
We are supposed to be taking possession. The devil is trying to keep us out. Perspective. But we've got the church. Let's just get in our building with our stained glass windows. And the devil's trying to beat us down. And he already said, no weapon formed against the church will prosper. And we're in defense mode trying to keep the world out of the church. We, the world, is supposed to be trying to keep us out. And I, I hate to say it, but in, in ways, they're winning. God is not in school anymore. And we're seeing the downfall. We're supposed to be going in and taking the schools back for the kingdom of God. And it's been reversed. The devil has kicked us out of school. Our, our, our government, our sports industries, the entertainment industry. We're supposed to be going into those things. We're supposed to be going into politics. We're supposed to be going into the government, the churches, on an, in an offensive approach. Our battle is not to keep the devil out of our stuff. It's to fight him and get his hand off of our stuff. We're supposed to be going out and gaining ground. The one wicked, lazy servant is the one that sat back, took guard over his stuff and says, I'm not going to let anybody touch it. I'm going to hide it away where no one can find it. He never had no offensive approach to go out and take control over anything. The two servants that were well done, good and faithful... They went, they took possession of, and they added to what they already had in their possession. Look at this in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. God is moving us into new territories in the kingdom of God. That's what we're doing. That's what the church is all about. A, kingdom's, uh, a kingdom faces war and, and, uh, and faces battles. Because they're trying to advance their kingdom. The Bible says that Jesus came in due time. The, the time that Jesus came was very specific. Why didn't he come right after Adam and Eve fell? The time period that Jesus came in, there was a government in rule taking over the whole earth called the Romans. And the Romans, when they waged war, they were going into other countries and taking over new territory. That's why they were so powerful. They weren't sitting back in Italy, in Rome, and trying to keep people out. They were going into other countries and taking over new territories. So when Jesus was talking about the kingdom, this is what people had to relate to. And these Israelites, these Jews, just got it firsthand. These Jews just got taken over by Rome. And although it was a Jewish area, Israel was a Jewish territory, there were Romans in there telling them what to do and telling them how to do things. We know this because Jesus was crucified by Romans. They, were still, they could still keep their traditions. They could still worship the way they wanted to. They could talk the way they wanted to. But the Romans came in and took over that Israel territory. That's what Rome did. Now look at this. Remember, this is what the kingdom looks like. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
prince of peace. Look at this in verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. The advancing and the extension of this government, of this kingdom, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it, establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. Jesus was not setting up a a temporary government. He was not coming down saying, right now the kingdom is here and then when I leave the kingdom leaves. He's setting this thing up to advance, to extend. Look at this in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. It says, And from the days of John the Baptist, this is Jesus speaking, until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent, what? Take it by force. The kingdom of God is violently advancing. Luke chapter 16, verse 16. The law and prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. This thing is advancing. This thing is extending. This thing is moving forward. This thing is gaining ground. This thing is taking control. There's no defensive mode about the kingdom of God where we're sitting back and just waiting for Jesus to come back. So the kingdom of God is always advancing and always taking over new territory. Victory is irrelevant if there is no battle to fight. I am not here this morning telling you that there is no battle and we're not fighting anything and there are no struggles in life. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we've been looking at the battle and the struggle from the wrong perspective. We've been looking at it from the devil attacking us mode instead of us attacking the devil mode. That's the view that we've had. That's the perspective and the perception. And I'll tell you right now, you can ask anybody in sports, you play, dif- you play defense differently than you do offense. If you go out on the football field and you send your defensive line out there instead of your offensive line, when you have a quarterback, we've got a problem. Uh... I remember as a kid playing basketball and, uh, you know, we were, you know, I was playing on a team and we had a, a guy on our team that scored on the other person's goal. We don't get the point. You can't play offense on defense. You can't kick the soccer ball on your own goal. You can't run, you can't hit a home run and run backwards. I mean, you have to play the line that you're on. And so we've been playing defense when we're supposed to be on offense. Jesus has put us on the offensive. And we're going to talk about that next week. Next week is Easter. I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to, it's going to blow this thing open. I really, to be honest with you, have these two things out of order. But I think that God is going to, to move because what I'm telling you now, you have to hear next week to really tie it all together. Because you're going to find out why we already have the victory. Let me tell you this. If you are fighting this battle to win, if you are fighting the devil to win, you're already losing. Let me just go ahead and tell you that. If you're fighting the devil to win, you're already losing. That's why I call this victorious. 
Past tense. We are victorious. Past tense. We have the victory. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. And so that's why Jesus said, occupy. He didn't say, fight and beat down and beat the devil. Because my Bible tells me Jesus already did that. My Bible tells me victory is already mine. My Bible tells me that what Jesus did on the cross, if you're fighting the devil to win, you're saying that Jesus didn't do enough on the cross. Now go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. See, for too long we've focused on the enemy, and we haven't focused on what the enemy is. See, the devil is standing guard over what he thinks is his. See, he thinks the schools are his. He thinks that your healing is his. He thinks that your financial breakthrough is his. And so we've been focusing on the devil in front of our stuff instead of focusing on the stuff that he's guarding. He's standing guard over your healing. He's standing guard over your finances. He's standing guard over our government. He's standing guard over, and Jesus is saying, I've already given you the victory. You need to go in, advance the kingdom, extend my kingdom, and take over territory. Take your healing back from the enemy. Take the schools back from the devil. Take the government back from Satan's grip. And that's where the struggle, that's where the battle comes in. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We know this. This is why we know we're in a battle. This is why we know there is a struggle, because Paul tells us to put on armor. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Why? Because it's His battle. We saw that a couple weeks ago. It's His battle. You fight His battle His way. That's why David, when Saul tried to give him his armor, he said, I don't need all this armor. I'm not fighting your battle. I'm fighting God's battle. And so what God tells me to do, I will do. He told me to pick up some five smooth stones, put them in a sling, sling them, and hit the guy in the head. Then that's what I'm going to do. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't look right, doesn't make any sense. But my God told me to fight this way. You fight with swords. You fight with shields. You fight with armor. But I'm not fighting your battle. Verse 11. We're fighting his battle. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? Stand. It doesn't say that you may be able to fight. It says that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Here's what the devil's been doing. I I used to do this as a kid. I'd sit at the lunch table and if someone had something that I wanted... I say, hey, look over there, and grab them while they turn their head. Anyone ever done that? I'm the only, I'm the only one? Okay. I'm the only mischievous kid? Yeah, we've all done it. That's what the devil's been doing to us. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Why does, he do, why does he say that? Because the devil wants us to think that we're each other's enemy. If the devil can get you focused on flesh and blood, then you're never going to fight him. You're going to fight your coworkers. You're going to fight your employers. You're going to fight your spouses. You're going to fight your brothers and sisters. You're going to fight your parents. We're not going to ever fight the devil. So he goes ahead and lets you know. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But against what? Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Man, that sounds terrible. That sounds like some bad stuff. I mean, he didn't just say but against the devil. I mean, he just went ahead and spilled it out. 
made it look as bad as it is. You know why? Paul wanted it to wanted you to see how bad it is to magnify your power. Because when you see that you have control over all that junk, that just makes you that much more victorious. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? Withstand. He said it again. We're not talking about fighting. We're talking about standing. Withstanding. In the evil day. And having done all to stand. That's the third time. Verse 14. Stand. Therefore. He doesn't say, fight therefore, having girded your waist. He says, stand therefore. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which is the word of God. <clears throat> that you may be able to quench all the fiery dirts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer, supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So this whole battle that we think that we're in defense mode and keeping the devil out and trying to block the devil and trying to keep him from attacking us, He's talking about standing. So let me tell you this. Our victory is not in defeating the devil. It's in outlasting the devil. Let me say that again. Our victory does not come by defeating the devil. It comes in outlasting. You know what the devil is trying to do to us on a day-in, day-out basis? He's trying to wear you down. He's trying to wear you out. Because you already have the victory. And guess what? He knows it. Because Jesus showed up to hell and took back the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Stripped him of all his power. He can only run around in power if you don't know that you have the power. He can only run around and tell you what to do if you don't know that you have the power to tell him what to do. That's our victory. Our victory is not in defeating. You know why? He's already defeated. But there are a lot of victorious Christians that are not walking in victory. They're not walking in daily, perpetual victory. We are victorious. But there are a lot of believers that don't have victory in their finances, that don't have victory in their marriages, that don't have victory in their jobs, that don't have... Victory on a day-in, day-out basis, perpetually living in victory. Because the devil has worn them down. He's trying to wear you out. It doesn't say when you've done all to stand, lay down. It says when you've done all to stand, stand. And a lot of us, we've fought and we have fought and we've done all to stand, but then we sit. And the Bible says that when you've done all to stand, then stand. Go ahead and stand up. Go ahead and stand on what you know. Go ahead and stand in the victory you already have. And so we've had this this wrong alignment, this wrong idea, this wrong perspective of what this kingdom conquest is all about. The kingdom conquest is about going and taking and pursuing and opposing 
and tearing down the enemy's control on our stuff. It's your stuff. It's your stuff. That healing is already yours. That financial victory, it's already yours. That breakthrough in your marriage, it's already yours. You don't have to go. You don't have to ask God for it. You don't have to pray for it. You don't have to say, God, please give me this and please give me that. It's already in your possession. You just have to get the enemy off of your stuff. And so is there a struggle? Yes. Is there a battle? Yes. I'm not diminishing the fact. I'm not saying there are no struggles in life. I'm not saying. What I'm saying is is the struggle is to go out and take back what already belongs to you because someone has a grip on it that thinks he owns it, but he has no clue. Look at this in Numbers chapter 13. We'll close here. Numbers chapter 13. By the way, let me just throw this out there real quick. The word stand means to abide, to establish, to hold up. Withstand means to oppose or resist. The common theme is just to outlast the enemy. Instead of letting him wear you out, you wear him out. Every time we get together, the devil should be shaking knowing that the church has just come together and is finding out about who they are in Christ, finding out about the authority and the power that they possess, and he's getting ready to lose his hold on your stuff. We shouldn't be coming here and, and, and praying against spiritual forces and hoping they don't get in our church and hoping we keep the devil out. The devil has no place here because where God is, he can't be. Where two or more are gathered in his name, he's here. So don't be worried about the devil walking through the door and trying to take over and trying to do stuff. He should be worrying about us. The devil is more worried about you than you should be about him. That's the victory we possess. That's the position we stand in. So look at this in Numbers chapter 13. I'm not going to read this whole story. Brent, I'm just going to call out verses, and if you can throw them up as we go. Let me just give you a backstory. This is This is the Israelites in the wilderness. And... God has just, they finally come to the promised land. Remember, they came out of Egypt not to go into a wilderness and suffer. A lot of us think, why did God call me out here in this wilderness? I'm just suffering. I'm just struggling. I'm just battling. Why isn't he delivering me? You're on your way to the promised land. And so God brings them to the promised land. Past tense. Promised. In fact, he didn't even promise it to these people. He promised it to Abraham. He promised it to Isaac. He promised it to Jacob generations before these people even were born. These people were in slavery for 400-something years. 430 years in slavery. And they have a promised land. They finally get to the promised land where they can see it. And Moses sends in 12 spies. Spy out the land. How many of you have been spying out your land? You've been spying out that victory that you know is yours. You've been spying out your healing. You've been claiming it. You've been calling it. I can see it. It's right there. You've been spying out your victory in, in finances. You've been find, spying out your victory in your, in your home, in your job. He sent in spies to go and take a look at the land that's already promised them. Not to go in and, and decide, hmm, can we do this? It's to go in and see what is already yours. But guess what? There were giants in the land. I mean, they, 
the, the, the spies came back. They came back. They had good reports in the beginning. Man, there's it's a land flowing with milk and honey. There are clusters of grapes. And we had to bring them back on on poles. I mean, it is it is awesome. I mean, if you look at man, healing is awesome. Man, it would be so nice to be out of debt. Man, it would be so nice to have have peace in my home. Man, it'd be so nice to to have a job that I love. Yeah, that would be awesome. But then, 10 out of 12 spots come back. And they say, but man, there's giants in the land. There's enemies. I mean, what did they think? They were going to get there and it's just sitting there waiting with nobody in it? No, there were giants in the land. There were enemies, what? Trampling on their stuff. This land didn't belong to them. It didn't belong to the, to the Hebronites. It didn't belong to the Amalekites. It didn't belong to these people. It belonged to God's people. And so they show up. Let's get down here. Let's get down here to verse 27. This is the spies. We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. God's right. It's got milk and honey in it. And this is its fruit. And they brought back these huge things of fruit. 28. And here's where a lot of believers are. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Jericho was one of those cities. That's fortified. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they're living in our stuff. They're living in our land. They dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome. Were they well able because they were stronger? Were they well able because they were bigger? Were they well able because they were more trained? Were they were No, these people guys got out of slavery. They're not trained for war. What is Caleb talking about? We are more than able to overcome because... God has already promised us the land that we just looked at. Verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we see in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. That's what the ten spies saw. How did these ten spies see something different than Caleb and Joshua? Numbers chapter 14 and verse 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If we had only died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be victims. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Did the devil do anything to them? Did the enemies do anything to them? 
I'm telling you right now, there are a lot of believers that are talking themselves out of possessing the things that God has for them without the enemy ever lifting up a hand. The battles and struggles that we think we face, when we put them in perspective, they have no, they have nothing on us. And we end up talking ourselves. They wanted to raise up a leader and go back. Leave. Without even trying to fight. Verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. This is bad. I mean, Moses, Aaron, they just brought them out. And now they're deciding, let's just go back to Egypt. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephno, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. They spoke to all the congregation of children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. Do not rebel. Follow his instruction. Follow his word. Follow his commands. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And the all and all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared. What happened? They lost focus of the land, of the possession, of the things that God had already promised them, and got their eyes on the enemy. I'm going to tell you right now, many of you see giants walking around in your land. You see giants walking around in your victory. You see giants possessing things that belong to you already. You see giants possessing your home. You see giants and enemies possessing your healing. You see giants possessing your finances. And you're saying, God, this thing is too great. But he's saying, I've already given you the victory. I've already promised it to you. Walk in, take over, and defeat the enemy that's in, in the way of what is yours. See, right now, I'm going to tell you, every time you see an enemy in your life come up, that should be the most exciting thing in your life. You know why? Because there's a door on the other side of the enemy. That means you've just come to a crossing point where God is putting you on the verge of getting your stuff. I'm going to tell you right now, you ever seen those movies where, like, uh, people are going and trying to take something, they're trying to go into a city, they're trying to go into a building and steal something? You ever notice that the that the, the guards get stronger the closer you get to what... i tell you right now, I mean, if, if the president were to come here, you'd probably first see some police. Then you might see some FBI. But when you get real close to the president, you got the most trained, skilled men there is on top of the thing. And so... You, you, we're thinking that the enemies are getting bigger, the enemies are getting tougher, the enemies are getting stronger. The, 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 there's giants. I'm, that means you're just getting closer to what is already yours. That means you're just that much closer. You've just stepped in closer to the door, to the possession, to the promise that God has already made available to you. Do not quit. Do not give up. When you have done all to stand, stand. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. And so we've got, our, we've got to get our eyes back on the promise 
that is behind the enemy. The enemy is not your problem. The enemy is not your goal. And the enemy is not beating you down. And I don't know how many times I've heard that the devil's just beating me down. The devil's just, he's really been attacking me. No, you're attacking him. And the reason you're coming into struggles and the reason you're having battles and the reason there seems to be trials and turmoil and things seem to be a little tighter than usual is because you're just getting that much closer to your victory. But when when the devil gets you in beat-down mode, when the devil gets you in losing mode, then you're, you're losing a battle that you've already got victory in. You're losing a battle. I'm telling you, right now, I don't know who it is, but you're that close. I'm telling you right now. And it seems like all hell's breaking loose. That's because you're breaking it loose. All hell is coming against you is because you're on top of all hell. And you are going in there. You're taking your stuff back out of hell's possession. That's the victory we're talking about. This is not what a lot of people are preaching right now, I'm going to tell you. The church has gotten into, well, God's trying to teach you something. God wants you to trust in Him. God wants me to trust in Him that His promise is true, that what He gave me and what He promised me really is mine. I need to go in and take it. He's not bringing me trials. He's not bringing me struggles. Jesus did not say that He brings them. He just promised them. But we know who came to steal, who came to steal, and who came to destroy. But I also know who came to give life. And I know who came to give life more abundantly. So let's get the right perception. Let's get the right perspective. I don't know who it is here this morning, but you're starting to see some giants. You're starting to see the enemy, and he looks bigger, he looks stronger, it looks like things are getting tougher, it's getting harder to access, it's getting harder to get in. You just keep pressing, you just keep standing, you just keep resisting, you just keep going and gaining. Let's never get in the mode of, well, I am just thank God for what I have. I may not... I may not be able to, 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 to give money to the poor like I want to, but, but at least I've got a good job. Well, that was the wicked, lazy servant. God gave you a good job. Well, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm just glad with the job. You know, I, 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 it doesn't give me any time to really do stuff that I want to do with church, but, you know, I'm just glad I have it. No, no, let's, let's move beyond that. Let's say, God gave me this, so now I'm going to add to it with this. We're not burying this thing in the ground. We're not afraid of the devil coming and taking our stuff anymore. We're not getting on the defensive mode and and putting up our walls and putting up our shields and saying, devil, you can't get in here. No, we're saying, devil, you're about to get your hands off all my stuff because I'm victorious, because I have the victory, because this is the promised land. It's already mine. The healing's mine. The possessions are mine. The victory is mine. You have no place in my stuff anymore. Amen? Well, Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that we are victorious. We thank you that we are overcomers. We are more than conquerors by you, Father. It is your battle. The victory is yours. But you have brought us into this kingdom. You have delivered us from sin. You've delivered us from hell. You've delivered us from from being trampled on. And you've given us 
triumph. You've given us victory. And today we change our perspective. Today we change our perception. And we see ourselves already victorious. We see ourselves already owning and grabbing on to those promises that you have laid in our lives. You've shown us things, Father, and you're not teasing us. You're not trying to show us what it'll be like one day. You're trying to show us what to go in and take control over and take back from the enemy. Right now, Father, I thank you that this body, this body of believers, these that are here, will walk away today, Father, with a different outlook, with a different idea of what life is all about. And we will begin to live your kingdom victoriously in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we want to go ahead and take up our tithe and offering. Go ahead and take up our tithe and offering. <clears throat> 